following threads. Yeah. I think, you know, your heart puts out those threads. And for me, I think my journey has been on the thread of the horse. Um, and the willingness, the willingness to say, I'm going to go for it. The willingness to just say, I'm going to go for it. What's the next thing? Something happens. What's the next thing? And just constantly by following your heart, for lack of a better way of saying it, I think it takes you to places. It takes you to where you need to be. I'm Julie Clare, and this is the podcast, Creative at the Wheel. Artists and creative professionals thrive in unconventionality. They reinvent themselves and find their way through impossible situations. Here, we get to have deep dive conversations on their adventures. Let's jump in. Today, my guest is Sarah Stenson. Uh, We will be exploring together how her life and love of horses became a full-fledged, successful equine academy and how she's moved through life as a teacher, artist, and businesswoman with her constant being her relationship to horses. Sarah's search for wisdom and spirit connection has led her through many different life chapters. It's quite a wild ride, I might say. And I'm so excited to have seriously this conversation with her. We get to sit down together now and can't, it's just, yeah. Uh, To give you a little background, Sarah grew up on horseback. Her parents, um, ranchers in Wyoming, the childhood, her childhood summers were spent riding the pastures, making sure all the cows and calves were safe and happy. She's since then moved around a lot in her life, looking from one adventure to another. For many years, she lived in the Boulder, Colorado area other places too, I'm told, that I don't that I don't barely know about. Her life brought her to appreciate art, feminism, and all things creative. She learned to paint and joyfully study Tai Chi Chuan, I hope I said the right, modern dance, and Tibetan meditation. After finding a mentor in her in the barefoot shiatsu, in her barefoot shiatsu practitioner, and cons- consequently studying with Shizuko Yamamoto, the creator of barefoot shiatsu, she was hooked on bodywork, both for herself and with others. While she was getting her massage certification, a neighbor asked her if she would work on her horse, and the rest is history. She's been teaching for 20 years. And I want to start by reading this quote by Sarah. In my nomadic modern life of body, mind, and spirit, there has been one constant through all of these journeys, and that is the companionship of the horse. Not just the horse, but the feeling of freedom that the horse carries for us to our hearts as equestrians. Welcome, Sarah Stenson. Thank you, Julie. I'm so happy to be here. I am too. We've got so much to talk about. And I want to start with your love of horses and the horse's companion. I'm picturing a little Sarah riding a little horse. I don't know if that's true, but could you tell us about how you got started or your original connection with horses? Um, I I couldn't tell you when I started because I was riding a horse with my mother when she was pregnant with me. So they have just been in my life, um, all of my life like that. So I, I don't know what it would be without horses. And yes, I did have a little horse. His name was Smokey. He was a little Shetland, and he was a rotten little thing. He would run and try to 
take you underneath the clothesline. So you had to duck so it didn't cut your head off. And then if the barn door was open, which was just the regular size barn door, if that was open, you had to, he would run through it and you had to pick your feet up or your legs would be ripped off as you run through the barn door. But he was always doing that. You could, you could run him away from home, but coming back, you better be prepared to ride. So that was one of the little lesson horses that I grew up on. Smokey. Smokey. Now, was it officially your horse or was it a horse you rode? He was, we had, we had a number of horses on the ranch and uh, dad had a friend who was a horse trader and he was always bringing him horses to try. And then my dad would decide which ones we would keep and which ones he, he didn't want. So I grew up with maybe we had 20 horses, give or take throughout the time on the ranch that we could choose to ride. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. Knowing what you've been doing here with horses that it started that way. Your dad was a horse trader. Um, when do when did you become aware of, uh, kind of a connection to horses on a, uh, I don't know, maybe more spiritual way. How old were you when that started to come in? Um, I, I, my middle years were spent doing Tai Chi and learning massage and all of that. And when I was asked if I would work on horses and do massage on horses, um, it got me back into horses. And, um, when I started working with them, I realized, uh, now that I had some experience on, on my, spiritual practices, I began to really see who they were and what they responded to and how they communicated. So it wasn't, it wasn't until about 20 years ago when I really started listening to them that I began to listen to all animals in a very different way. Wow. And so when you were doing, going to massage school and doing all of that, you weren't were you still with horses? No, I hadn't. I didn't own horses at the time. I would ride horses here and there, other friends' horses, but I didn't have any because we had been living in the city, in the cities. Um, so I didn't have horses. And when I started doing massage, that's when a little horse came into my life. And he's 27 this year. And we still, have oh my him. gosh, tell me about that meeting, your first meeting or how that happened. <clears throat> Sage, I was working on some barrel racing horses out in West, in uh, Eastern Colorado. It's, it's very prairie out there. And the gentleman who hired me to work on his horses, he would be off training. He would come to me and say, work on this horse, work on that horse and this horse. And I'll come back. And so I was working on his horses. He didn't own the place. A farmer owned the place, a different different guy. And so I was alone. I thought I was alone. And I'm working on this horse that he had. And I hear something go, Sarah, over here. And I'm like, I started looking around. I'm like, nobody is around here. And so I kind of brushed it off and went back to work. And I heard it again. I heard that same little whisper, Sarah, over here. And so I stopped what I was doing and I started looking around and in the barn, there was a a stall 
with slats and looking through the bottom slat was this pair of eyes on this little white face. And it was, he was staring at me and I went over and I looked at him and he was starving. He had a big belly and he was just all bones and belly and he couldn't hold his head up and his feet were overgrown. And I was mortified. And the farmer came, it was kind of all these little serendipity things. The farmer came out and I said, how much is that little horse worth? And he was like, it's worth $800. And I'm thinking, I don't have $800. And so I didn't say anything. The barrel racing guy whose horses I was working on comes back. And I said, how much is that little horse worth? And he goes over and he looks and he goes, Sarah, you know, he's only worth $50. He's going to be dead in a week. And I'm like, oh, no, he can't do that. And he saw the look on my face and he said, I'll be back. And he comes back about 10 minutes later. And he said, the old guy will take $300 for him. And so I went to my car, I got my checkbook and I wrote the check. And I, we've had that horse now for 27 years. Oh my gosh. He's, he's still around. He's out grazing now. <laughs> yeah. What did you, what has your relationship been throughout? Would you say? With him? I mean, he started by, yeah, by, he started by talking to you. Is this a, has he continued to talk? Yes. Or is yes. that, was that more like spirit talking to you, uh, pointing you towards Sage? He's, He's a very interesting horse. Um, he's an Appaloosa. And just a little background on, on them. They were bred by the Nez Perce Indians, very methodically bred for specific purposes. And they were fast horses. They were smart horses. They were brave horses because they were warrior horses. And um, I, to me, he seems to have been one of those horses that had many lives on the prairie and he was all scarred up when I got him I in barbed wire and had an infection and uh, over the years that I've had him he beats himself up here and there so I have to tell him you know you're, you don't have to be you're, you don't have to be a war horse anymore you can just retire um, he's he's interesting another time I was grooming him and I was talking about how the Nez Perce bred these horses and we were standing there and I said I had this feeling he was a war horse from a long ago and the grot the barn door at that point blew open uh, like a little cyclone went through this was in Colorado a little cyclone went through and he kind of stood up and, and watched it and watched it go back out the door and I was with a couple of other people and I went whoa, I think his spirit just went through the barn. It was, it was strange. So he has these little magical things that happen around him. He's, he's very different. Beautiful. You know, I have uh, a poem of yours because you are also a poet, a painter, all kinds of things. Uh, but I, I love it if you read it. I know I mentioned this before we talked, but I, I first ride and I'm wondering, um, how, you know, if this, what this brings up for you, but would you be willing to read first ride? I will. Okay. A a, it's called flash fiction. You all in flash fiction, you only get 100 words. So this is a flash fiction. So, but what I want you to do is I want you to stand in a big meadow 
on the steppes of Southern Russia, and I want you to look out. And there's all kinds of animals. There are no fences, nothing. It's pure wild years ago, many, many years ago, before people rode horses. And that's when I wrote this. This is, first ride is, when did the first human straddle the back of a horse and go, oh my God, this is heaven. So that's what first ride is about. Enchanted I was by that family of wild horses. On four legs, they were swift and agile. Their quick, gentle spirits awakened a longing deep within my soul. Quietly, I asked the beautiful golden mare for a favor. She agreed. Straddling her warm, curving back, I slipped seamlessly into her form. Weaving my fingers through her thick black mane, I gave a gentle squeeze, asking for a journey into her world. She raced with me breathlessly into the wind, forging a mysterious love of freedom born from the seed of my longing. Our fortuitous encounter bonded horse and human forever. First ride. What's your sense of, that's so beautiful. Um, and I was picturing that scene that you brought us into. So we've got horse and human, you know, how, what do you think about this horse and human? Um, boy, we've been, we've traveled this whole journey together for, for thousands and thousands of years. Um, going back to that first ride and it's brought us through the wars. They, they've helped us farm and grow food and all kinds of things. And now mostly their pleasure in this country, mostly for pleasure. And it's, uh, it, it's interesting to me that we have these wild animals that, that we have domis domesticated over the years, that their willingness to be our constant companion uh, often, it amazes me, really. It amazes me because sometimes when I look at humans, I'm like, I don't think so. But they just come back and they're just so willing to 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 be there for us and they never they never let us down the horses have never let humans down well and i go back to that story in the barn with um uh sage and you taking her on yeah mm -hmm. um what was it like now you have a horse and i'm thinking uh you know really appreciating what you just said about horses and who they've been for us. And then I'm just wondering who, who was sage for you then? You happen to have land. How did that all work? If you, now you've got a horse, you're a massage therapist. Um, you've been working on horses. Um, what um, happened with bringing her home? Uh, we, we did live on acreage. We had just moved yep. to acreage about two years before that and uh, brought him home, put him in a little barn and fed him until People would tell me, you know, a horse that's been starved that long will not grow. They they won't grow very well. It's actually a he. It's a gilding. He is. He kept growing, and we're like, is he ever going to stop? And he's a huge horse. He's like sixteen hands high. Um, so we just 
started working with him and started training him. And when he was old enough, I'm like, I had never started a horse to train them for the very first ride. I had never done that. I always rode horses that were well-trained and well-behaved. And so I didn't know what to do. Um, and I was working on a horse at another um, barn and the woman said, Buck Branneman is coming to teach. And this was way back uh, in the late nineties. He said, he's coming to teach and he'll do colt starting. And so I signed up, I'd never done that and signed up to train him with Buck Branneman. And this was when Buck Branneman was making the movie, The Horse Whisperer. He was helping Robert Redford make that movie. Um, so it, it was an interesting time and Buck helped me start him, uh, under saddle and train him. And he's, the horse has just been a gentleman ever since. My God, isn't, didn't Buck have a movie made specifically about him? Uh, well, it was the horse whisperer. That was the movie. Yeah. And then he's got a documentary called Buck. That's what I was referring to because yeah. I've seen that twice. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of blown away by this person. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, I keep hearing the word serendipity. So Buck just happens to be in your area. You get this kind of initial training with Sage and he's now a gentleman. And how in the world do we get from there to you starting, you know, knowing that you want to have a school for people teaching them how to work with horses and body work? How do we get from there <laughs> To there. Can you tell me? What is that? <laughs> it's a nice, these, these it's a great beginning to the story. I can't believe you got to be trained with Buck. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. And he was very kind to me because I didn't know what I was doing. I had never done that. And uh, so there, there's, there was a funny scene and I'm, we got on the horse for the first time we got on the, we were starting to get on the horse and we get up on these panels and we're going to put our leg over the horse. And there was about seven of us in this pen. He goes, okay, now everybody get on your horse. So we climbed up on the fence. We brought our horses up so we could straddle and get on. Just as we started to do this, this little kid had a stick and she ran and ran through the round pen with that stick and clicking all of the, the bars as she went like that. And it was so beautiful because all the horses just stopped and they waited for her to quit. And we were all just kind of straddled in midair. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was pretty funny. And then to get off, I hadn't stepped off of the horse before. And he's very much one you step off the horse. You don't jump off the horse you step off so he said okay step off and I'm like but I want to jump off that's all I know how to do right now <laughs> and he looks at me and he goes do you need a little help there Sarah and I'm like oh god yes <laughs> but I got I got along really well with Buck so back to the other thing I was doing massages and I was working on horses at the time because I, that's how I got this horse. And, um, I was going, I was going from Wyoming to Kansas to Southern Colorado. I was going all over working on horses and I kept thinking I need to start a school because I can't just keep running 
all the time working on horses. I need to teach other people how to do this. And I kept saying, I don't have time. And then I had a car wreck and I broke my right ankle and I knew I was going to be laid up for a long time. And so I said, I'm going to start a school. So I did that while I was healing. I started my Equine Align Academy. Wow. So how long, how long were you working on horses before that and knowing that you wanted to do some kind of school, but you weren't really acting on it? How much of your massage, how much time did you massage humans and how much time did you then, did you quickly switch to horses or were you doing humans? I learned, yeah, I learned to do human massages, uh, way early on in the Boulder days, starting with Mm -hmm. Tai Chi and had been working on people all for many years. And just hadn't even thought about horses. When I was in getting my certification in massage, there was a man, a young man going, and I said, where are you going to work? And he goes, oh, I'm going to work on horses. And and it struck me, oh, of course. And then we live next door to the person uh, to, when we moved, uh, we live next door to a person. She goes, yeah, work work on horses. (laughs) So it, it all just... In, the, in a few years, just kind of all came together that I, I started the school and was training horse, training my horses as, as I went along. Wow. So you had this car accident, uh, and I know that you hurt your ankle very badly. And in that, was it uh, something that helped bring you through the recovery, or was it more like you you know, you were just opened up and you knew that there was no time to waste. I mean, what was that experience like having that come to you? It's time to do this academy. Um, yeah, I just, as soon as I was off all the heavy drugs for pain, I just started calling the people that I wanted to be my teachers and asked them if they would teach. And we all got together and outlined the curriculum and it was a two month program at the time. And so I had, I had a lot of help putting the school together at that time and had some great teachers and we were very successful for uh, five or six years until the economy, the first round of, yeah, then people couldn't come because I law probably one third of my students were from overseas. They were international. And so I lost my international uh, students and then people in the United States didn't have a lot of money either. So it got, it got more quiet, but it also got more intimate and more personal, which I like, which I liked a lot. Wow. What was it, what was it like to, you started calling people that you knew you wanted to work with? Was it courageous? Was it, um, (laughs) Of course, was it, uh, you know, what did it take to do that? Well, there was one guy who's, he had a reputation in, in uh, Colorado. He's really a good trainer, he, really, really good guy. And I didn't know him at the time. And somebody says, well, you need to have him teach for you, teach horsemanship for you. And I said, well, okay. And they gave me his number. And um, it took me two or three days to work up the courage to call this guy whom I had never met. And I finally did. And I told him who I was and what I wanted to do. And he, I said, would you teach horsemanship for me? And he goes, well, yeah, I certainly would. <laughs> and I go, you would? <laughs> like, Why would you teach for me? 
<laughs> and I'm like, well, maybe I better change my attitude on that a little bit. Um, and he was wonderful. He he taught for me for five. So or you six weren't years. all that full of yourself at the beginning. No, is what we're hearing no. Jeez, no. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know how to. I I had been teaching massage in a in a school in in Colorado in Colorado for five years. I had been teaching massage therapy there. So I knew what I wanted to teach and I wanted to design it after a human massage therapy so that the horses would, the people that were doing the work would also be well-versed in anatomy, physiology, movement, all of those things and rhythm. I actually had a musician friend of mine come in and we would do rhythms because horses travel in four rhythms Hmm. Um, the walk is four beat. The walk, the walk is four beat. One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. The trot is two beat. One, two, one, two, one, two. And the canter is a three beat. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. And the gallop is one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. As a musician, you probably appreciate that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And when they, when they're off on, when something is not right in their structure, in the alignment of their structure, their rhythm changes and the sound of the rhythm changes. Say one leg isn't working real well, it doesn't hit the ground and stay as long. So it'd be one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. So with the rhythm of the horse, we also can diagnose where the lameness might be. So that's why I taught rhythm. So would you say, I mean, I definitely hear you're tuning in big time um, and, you know, building on your experiences of the past, like you knew how to teach massage for humans. Now, how do we do it for horses? And you brought in rhythm for one thing, right? Would you say it was, that was a real fun part is creating a curriculum? How creative was that? Because it wasn't, you weren't inheriting a lot of it, it sounds like. None of it. Um, wow. But I... But, it, but horses also, they have to have good feet. Their equipment has to fit properly. Their spines have to work. Their legs have to work. All of these things, all these things come together. In order for the horse to be able to exude spirit, right? Like, like you see at some of the Olympic sports, the horses just, they just die for for the work. They love it. They're just really into it. Um, and they have to be sound. They And that means everything has to be working according to their natural design and function. But you knew this, was, was it, was it kind of laborious coming up with the curriculum or what did it feel like you were, um, it was part of the adventure? I mean, what was the actual making of the material? Was it um, a way of honoring horses? I'm just curious. It, it's a way of honoring horses. I had a great time actually. And I've learned so much from my own, from my teachers because I took their classes. I wanted to know what they were teaching. So right. I, I learned an enormous amount from them. Um, but it was also so that my students could go out there and they, they could have the confidence that they needed in order to speak to um, 
other professionals in the business, they had they knew they had to know how to speak the language so that it wasn't just, well, this horse isn't doing right. But they had to say this horse has a problem on the right hind in the hocks or something like that. So I wanted my students to have a really good education and to be able, we even had word, we worked on words. What are the words that we want to use? We need to change our language in order for you to be respected as an equine professional. And that was my whole point. I wanted to create students who were equine professionals. Hmm. So you've also got, so that's almost a very pragmatic uh, intention, right? And then that stands right next to your kind of sense of the spirituality of, of horse. Very much. I, I like, okay. I like how you're bringing that in. You've got this writing scent of a horse. I don't know if you feel like reading that, but it speaks somehow to you know, use the word equestrian in it. And I don't know when you start saying now we're entering the horse world and you're wanting your students to be able to, to be able to stand up and be respected and have a, have some authority, some, um, since they weren't just a flaky massage therapist exactly. for the horses, right? Exactly. There was a, yeah. What, before we go to the palm or the, the writing, what, why was that important? What, what was your vision of that? It's still important to me. And that is that it's not just, oh, just give that horse a little massage to make him feel good. Uh, it's really to make sure that, I mean, some of these horses that I've worked on are going over five foot jumps. They're, they're doing, I worked on a lot of hunter jumpers, which they're jumping and they have to be right. They have to be right. If anything's off and they miss the jump, and we we actually saw that one time, we, we saw a horse, the rider messed up and the horse died because of it. So those, those horses have to be in top condition in order to do what is asked of them. And so when I put my hands on a horse, I wanna make sure that I'm doing the very right thing for that horse. Um, and not just doing a rub-a-dub, as we call it, and mm -hmm. saying it's good. Uh, I I look at the horse, I tell the rider what I see, and then I work on the horse, and then we compare what we saw before to what how the horse changed. So that also educates the rider in how do they communicate with their body. We're we're talking bodies here. We don't words are useless with horses. Words are useless. It's body language. And um, so I help the rider also with their own body language to communicate with that with that horse. I get it. And I want to ask how you've done that combined Tai Chi and uh, horses with that. I want to hear that video. So I, we're going to get there, but would you mind reading Scent of a Horse? I just love this piece that I read. I will. Great. Thank you, Sarah. You're welcome. Scent of a Horse. The scent of a horse is holy to an equestrian, a spiritual mantra and a koan for living. We can go a few days without that banquet in our noses, but that is pushing our limits. When things get rough, we hightail it for the paddocks to replenish our fragrance of horse. It is a warm smell, somewhat of a musty smell like hay in the spring. It is a sweet smell, but more radiant than a rose. Bury your face in a horse's neck and the whole of that horse enters into your bloodstream 
to permeate your whole body until all the nerve fibers vibrate in its essence. It is a natural sedative and no perfume made comes close to what horse musk awakens inside the human. It stirs the sense of tranquility that somehow no matter what is wrong, the aroma of a horse will make the world seem fresh again. It is a whiff of contentment, a sigh, a breath, a whisper, a kiss of wind that floats you into their soul, down to the portal of their eyes to see the truth written there. The world is once again at peace. It's beautiful. So we bring peace and freedom and koan and horse together and yeah. smell and radiance. And at one point you did something with Tai Chi for horse, for horse people, horse riders, didn't you? Yes. Um, what, how did that happen? What, how did that, did that, how did that work? Cause I just got a sense that people loved it in terms of when you're saying it's through bodies, not through words, you know, with horses. And then I hear you smelling the scent of a horse. So we get this real kind of saturation or immersion into this, this presence. And so then I am remembering this Tai Chi. What, what can you share with us about that project? Um, somebody asked me if I would teach, I've been teaching Tai Chi for 40, 40 some years. And, but this was, this was a number of years ago. And uh, when I started riding, I started riding my horses again. And people would ask me, oh, you do Tai Chi? Well, teach me Tai Chi. So I had about 20 equestrians in, in Colorado that we, we were together for quite a while. They asked me if I would make a video. So I made a video and I sent the video to, to uh, some of the horse uh, expositions that, that they would have. And I was guest speaker um, for uh, three or four in Kentucky, in California, and uh, Colorado. And I did, I sold the video and had a lot of students and did clinics. And it was then when I had my car wreck. That was really what I was going for at the time was to just teach body awareness to people who ride horses. But my car wreck kind of stopped that. And that's when I started the school. <laughs> wow. Remake. Remake. <laughs> Rebirth. <laughs> and to me, that that takes some hutzpah to to put that video together. Did you just slap it together? Um, if that was a while ago, I don't know if we had cell phones with video uh, programs and stuff. What what was that? Was that? I hear also. I mean, I want to out that you 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 were selling the video, right? You, yeah. This was part of your working life. Yeah. Yeah. I was. And, go ahead. Well, no, I just. I mean, to me that. And in the days, I don't think there was any other Tai Chi for riding horses I'm that I, I don't know, but no. I'm imagining it was pretty unusual. It was unusual. And um, I, I was working on a horse and I asked the young woman, I said, so what do you do? And she goes, oh, I, I make commercials for this Denver television station. She says, and, and I said, you make videos? Yeah, I, I go and film it and, and I edit it. And I said, really? <laughs> what would you charge me to do this video? And seriously, she just came into my life, like a month later, just came into my life, worked on her horse. And she 
put the whole video together and she did it very well. My brother-in-law, Michael's brother is a musician and he did all the music for the video. So we just did, we did it in a studio. It's all first class. And there is a link to it. The video is free now on one of my, on one of my uh, websites. Great. We're going to put that in the liner notes. Absolutely. For sure. Um, I'm thinking, you know, one of the, the threads I keep hearing is you were asked to do things or you turned around and asked the person next to you and they're a videographer or they, they make commercial videos. And then, you know what I mean? And then you're in the barn and there's a little horse talking to you. You know, there's serendipity on, you know, mega. Uh, but, you know, in terms of unfoldment, I don't hear you sitting in your room just coming up with great ideas. <laughs> no. I think that's, I mean, cause a lot of people I work with are looking to how do I bring my creativity? How do I bring my love in my life into more of my work, into more of what I experience in my day? And um, we travel this ground together. And so often I find it is really uh, seeing what where we are to start and what is already around us. So when I hear it, it's just, I get very excited um, by all the, you know. Following threads. I think, you know, your heart puts out those threads. And for me, I think my journey has been on the thread of the horse. Um, And the willingness, the willingness to say, I'm going to go for it the willingness to just say, I'm going to go for it. What's the next thing? Something happens. What's the next thing? And just constantly by following your heart for lack of a better way of saying it, I think it takes you to places. It takes you to where you need to be. I I lived in other places before I moved to Boulder. This is kind of one of those little magical threads. And I would look, I loved magazines. I loved fashion magazines. And then it says you can buy them in Honolulu, Paris, Boulder, New York. And I'd go, Boulder? And I would see this ad two or three times. And sooner, and you know, it wasn't, but a couple of years later, I find myself living in Boulder by, by going with some friends. I wind up in Boulder and then start meeting all these things. And so there's these little signs, and I don't think I'm unique in this. There's these little signs that are put in front of us. And if we know how to recognize them uh, or follow them, does that make sense? It stuck to me. Totally makes sense. Yeah, the Boulder just stuck to me. And I find myself there. (laughs) I I completely, I hear a lot of yes in you as well. Um, You know, um, in other words, being able to say yes to what's coming next, you know, and this uh, adventure leading. But I do, I do hear you uh, being aware of what's showing up around you. I think some people literally, uh, people are knocking on the door and they're not, they're not listening because, you know, we all get pretty stressed out and pretty full up with our lives, but to, to really, um, notice. Um, and I, I keep thinking your work is also noticing in the body of horses, what's going on, listening to the rhythm, as you mentioned, uh, noticing their body, how it needs to be put together. I mean, do I, one of the things I see throughout is, is a love of noticing Tai Chi. And I know, um, 
that has a lot to do with, you know, being aware, right. And observing what your body's actually doing, <laughs> what you think it's doing is one thing. And what it's doing is another, isn't that part, isn't that part of Tai Chi? This... Sometimes I think my body's got a mind of its own. Yeah. Totally. But... <laughs> yeah. The, the Tai Chi helps me. It, you begin to relax. You begin yeah. to let go. And I think the more you soften yourself and the more open you become, the more you see the signs coming to you and there are more of them and they they become more meaningful. They just don't happen to be this second look that you take, but they, you actually look at it and you go, Oh yeah, that's, that's my next, that's my next path. I need to go there. That's the next logical step I need to take. It may not make sense to anybody else. My my life may not make sense to anybody else, but it makes sense to me um, because of the the thread that holds it all together, the that strings the pearls together. Right? It's the the thread that holds the pearls, kind of. And you've got. I mean, I know you're. Um the equine academy was very successful and then it um it shifted and it 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 kind of slowed down a bit and and became a, a you know a something i know that you love um a little bit smaller version of itself but still very strong and potent and you have people that come come from across i think the world not just the states to mm-hmm. to study with you where are you now with that just to check in talking about threads and pandemic and covid you know and everybody adapting and making these changes the last year and a half so or whatever but where are you with that um because I'm, I'm assuming that got affected greatly as well yeah people can't travel especially to florida so i have a i have sometimes scheduled and it's all dependent upon travel and to see where to see where people can come if they can come or not so we're just waiting out the storm Got it. And in the meantime, um, what is your, what are you, what are your, where are your passions taking you now since the, the public part of the, you know, the training people, um, to work with horses is, um, kind of on pause. What, what, what's got your, what's got you going? Where's your thread going? It's kind of interesting, kind of like, you know, my car wreck and say, okay, I'm going to be home. And here I am, I'm going to be home. And I've always wanted to just dedicate a lot of time to my writing. And so here I am. <laughs> I'm dedicating a lot of my time to my writing and my painting and to my art that I've always wanted to just be able to do and express. So that's that's my, my current passion and love. Oh my gosh, Sarah. So maybe full-time artist. Maybe full-time artist, yes. Wow. What's the, what's the challenge of this? Staying inspired and staying inspired and um, doing things like what I do with you on Friday, meet with those people who are ahead of me as always and and having them uh, kind of, you know, illuminating the path for me, not, not their path, but helping to illuminate the path that I need to take through their wisdom and experience. Well, I have to tell you, I've seen some paintings that you've done of horses that I think are just beautiful um, and very spirited. So I know you're also doing some of that and your writings. And 
I hope this goes incredibly well and that this also becomes fortuitous, you know, this time that you have um, away from the school, uh, given how things are, um, you know, not, not regular at this point still, I don't know what regular means, but you know, not so public, (laughs) not traveling, not doing that so much. I I have these, this whole world around me. Is there, um, is there anything you feel like um, uh, you want to say before we go about, you know, there's a lot of talk in the West or where I think we're mystified by Mustangs. And I just wanted to draw our attention back a little bit into that, your experience with horses, because I know you had a Mustang. I know his name was Leo, right? Yes. Is there anything you want that you can share that we, so we can kind of meet Leo before we go? Because there's something about, I mean, I live in New Mexico and um, I think we're all kind of enchanted somehow by the wild, the Mustang. So what can you bring forth of Leo in this call? He was very different than a domestic horse. He was, horses are very honest. They're very honest. Uh, somebody asked me one time, what's easier working on people or horses? And I always laugh and I say horses because they don't blame their mother for their problems. <laughs> and so they're, they'll let go of them a lot easier. Um, this Mustang was very uh, smart. He was always ahead of me. I would, somebody would say when he was acting up, they'd say, well, do this and uh, put him, put him to work and make him refocus on something else. So I put him to work. And the next time he would act up and I thought, and he'd just, what he would do is he would say, I'm going to put myself to work, but I'm really not paying any attention to you. And I'm going to figure out something else that, that will make you wonder what I'm going to do. <laughs> so he was always like one step ahead of me, but he was so kind and so sweet and uh, brilliant. He would, we need to protect this, this wildness in them because it is also the wildness in us. That freedom, that freedom that horses and humans have used together over all these years and to treat them with so much disrespect for their family ties and for their their love of family, their love of herd. And we just break them up and do horrible things to them. And I would like to see us be much more kind to the wild horses. Leave them be, leave them be, let them be. I'm with you. Yeah. Um, I, I'd like to, I'm going to put the connections to your, uh, the school, all the information, um, the video, um, anything that we have from, from today's talk, we'll put in the liner notes. I'm wondering if we can end Sarah Stenson with you reading, because I'm thinking uh, feathers and fur had to do with Leo. It did have to do with Leo. All right. So, I, you know, <laughs> let's let's have you read that before we end. And thank you so much for, for, for this talk. Well, thank you. Um, yes, we were standing one day um, out in the wilds of New Mexico uh, with all the birds. And feathers and fur. She circled the atmosphere above, speaking a language that I didn't understand but my Mustang did. He looked up as if to recognize a kindred spirit. He was the one that told me to listen to what the hawk had to say, but I feel so inadequate with my senses, unlike the wild creatures who are the Tao. 
and they have no need to read books to figure it out. So my masters have feathers and fur. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Well, that's today's podcast of Creative at the Wheel. Before we go, I want to invite you to check out my ongoing Friday online gathering, The Creative Cure for Anxious Times, where for 75 minutes each Friday, we follow our intuition and play with pen, paper, paint, whatever creative materials you have on hand as a way of coming back into alignment with life and the moment. It's very healing and a whole lot of fun. You can also learn more about my one-on-one coaching with creatives, both on my website, paintbiglivebig.com.